everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hostler, founder of Strong Roots Consulting, based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. I'm joined as always by my co-host. Hi everyone, I'm Carolyn Kamen, an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC, coming to you from unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations territory. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators. This podcast is for everyone, expert or novice, longtime practitioner, or just starting in the field. Even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. So today on the podcast, we have another special guest with us. Uh, today we are talking with Chris Corrigan, and uh, I've borrowed this from his website. So Chris describes himself as a process artist a teacher and a facilitator of social technologies for face-to-face conversation in the service of emergence. Chris, do you want to elaborate on that? Do you want us to tell, to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks. It's good to be with you guys. Um, I'm Chris Corrigan. I live on uh, Bowen Island in, in traditional Squamish territory, Squamish Tameoch. The name of our island is uh, in Squamish, um, and that's very close to Vancouver. Um, and uh, my rather pompous biography that you've just read, which <laughs> um, <clears throat> really points to the fact that I'm, I'm a facilitator. I work mostly with nonprofits, community organizations, First Nations communities. Um, and our little company that um, my partner, Caitlin Frost, and I run mostly deal with organizations doing social good who are confronting complexity. So they don't know Mm -hmm. what they're doing and they don't know where they're going and they require groups of people to help them figure out what to do. So that's, that's really what we do. We talk about social technologies as dialogue methods and, and ways of, of leading together in participatory ways. Awesome. Yeah. Super fun work. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the reasons that we have you on the show today um, in addition to that interesting work that you do and that we want to learn more about that and, and, and talk about that and how that plays into evaluation is specifically you also have uh, a new online course coming up called The Art of Evaluation in Complexity, uh, which is going to be a four-session online course that's going to run through February. Um, and, and you've described it as the course you wish you'd been able to take 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what, what is this course about? Where does it come from? What does it mean for you? Yeah. So as a, a facilitator and as somebody who works in nonprofits, I'm not an evaluator. I wouldn't call myself an evaluator. But over the last 30 years, as I've been working to um, hone my facilitation skills, you know, you can't do work in the nonprofit world without coming across evaluators. And mm-hmm as we're doing strategy, as we're doing work, trying to understand um, the changes we're making, the impacts we're making, there's always the kind of, uh, I think, well, for 20 years, I think I've identified it as the persistent threat of the specter of evaluation. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's always lingering over your work. And, um, and I've, I've, I've often felt like the work that my clients and, and I have wanted to do, has been more highly constrained by the evaluation frameworks that are going to be used to evaluate the success or failure of the work than they are by the realities of what we're trying to do. So I think probably, I want to say about 10 or 15 years ago, I began really thinking about what evaluation is and what it means and trying to understand 
how and why we could use it in the service of participatory work and especially working in complexity where, as we know, like nothing is really easily measurable. Nothing is really easily attributable. The causality is nonlinear. Things are bouncing around. So when you have evaluators coming in and saying, uh, oh, you have to show how you, you know, achieve this, uh, your step-by-step process to achieve your outcomes, <clears throat> when we're actually all dealing with nonlinear and complex systems, um, to me was really constraining the kinds of strategic work that, that people working in nonprofits and communities were actually doing, making sense of their own realities, telling stories, adjusting as they go, ending up in completely different places than they imagined starting off in, and, and doing good work all that while. But, you know, having this nagging finger, this wagging finger over them of like, oh, you didn't do it right, you know. Um, so I wanted to kind of, I think, I think recover learning from the trauma of being judged mm. <laughs> um, is what I would say. And, uh, and then over, so over the last number of years, I've been, I've been diving into theory, um, complexity theory, theories of how we know things, theories of how we can make sense of things together. And I would say, I said to somebody yesterday, I would say my, my, my goal in life now is, is to make evaluation like a joyful part of change work that it, you know, that we can see that it contributes, that it means something that, um, it helps us do better. So it's so so my whole journey has been kind of like befriending evaluation, um, and uh, uh, and and this course that we're putting together is is kind of like a distillation of that journey. So as I'm not I'm not an evaluator. I don't call myself an evaluator. I don't identify that way. But I work with great people that are. One of them is on this podcast, <laughs> um, and, uh, and there are three other people that are joining us in this course to to kind of share their perspectives on evaluation. And all three of them, all four of you, have have informed my own little journey over the last number of years and specifically over the last year. Um, and have made me really excited about what's what's possible when we can evaluate well and we can bring that to the strategic work we're doing and bring that to the change work that's needed. Mm-hmm. That's great. And uh, it's, yeah, it is really interesting to hear perspective of someone who's not an evaluator and then likewise, who has, uh, I like, I think the way you put it, the, uh, the specter of evaluation and the, and the trauma of being judged. Um, can you speak a little bit more just about your own journey in terms of kind of coming from that place and saying like, okay, there is an opportunity to, uh, and again, your words to, to kind of view it more joyfully. Yeah. You know, Brian, when I started um, consulting, I remember meeting with a guy, I don't know who he is. Um, and somebody had connected us up and said, we should go for coffee and here's some ideas for what you might do as a consultant. Mm. And, and, and he said something to me that has never left me. He's, this was about 1999. So it was about 20 years ago. He said, um, you know, you should get into program evaluation. And I said, oh, really? Why? And he goes, because it is a piece of cake. It's a total <laughs> racket. Because basically what you do is you get with an organization you have a look at their plan. You do some interviews with people about whether they achieve their goals. You write up a report and you can, you can charge like thousands of dollars for this work. And like, uh, and that, that's what he was doing. Like he was out there doing that. He wasn't an evaluator, wasn't a researcher as far as I know. I mean, not obviously if he's talking like that, um, that he sort of like found evaluation as a bit of a racket. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, that's, unethical (laughs) yeah feel kind um and is that what evaluators are doing you know it made me like hyper aware of when people showed up to say oh yes i'm the evaluator for this project i'm like what the hell are you doing you know like (laughs) what's the racket you're promoting here 
um, made me really distrustful of evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it kind of began that way. Like it was sort of my little spidey senses were up mm-hmm. about evaluators being involved in projects. Um, and I felt like totally really protective of my clients. I mean, these are a lot of my clients continue to be, but at the time were especially like small friendship centers or little programs that, you know, didn't have very much money. And the evaluation was, was a necessary evil for them mm-hmm. to, uh, get with their funders and, and, you know, maintain their funding levels and stuff. And so to think that there was somebody involved in the project that didn't necessarily care what we were doing, um, but was using a required element of the program to make a little bit of money and move on felt seamy to me, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so, um, so that, that's partly how it began. And then I did have some bad experiences with like what I call weaponized evaluation, so we, you know, where where uh, funders kind of install evaluators to be almost like nannies, you know, mm-hmm. to be supervisors of the project and make sure that it's complying with a particular a particular outcome that the funder. So it's like they almost exert their power and influence through proxy of evaluation. Mm-hmm. So that was the second reason, second way in which evaluation be, I became cynical about it in a way, um, because I saw it being weaponized against people who were trying to make change in their communities, but it was outside the scope of what the funder was willing to support. But the funder wasn't, was, I'll say it, like the funder was too cowardly to show up in those conversations. And so Mm -hmm. they would appoint evaluators to be the ones that would sort of enforce the boundaries. Hmm. Um, And so I I think once I, once this term weaponized evaluation came into my consciousness, I felt like, okay, if we're going to fight a war, I better learn how to use these weapons. Um, and that was around the time that evaluation, the, the, the varieties of evaluation was exploding, right? So we had a developmental evaluation, utilization focused evaluation. People were much more interested in narrative and participatory evaluation and all this kind of stuff that when I was going to school, I learned in theory, but I could see it was being practiced by people. And I thought, well, I began incorporating evaluators who were much more interesting into our work deliberately and kind of like usurping the prerogative of the funder or the person in power to appoint their evaluators with their own frameworks and their own ways of doing things. So we sort of like super weaponized the shields or we, <laughs> or we created like a, a highly shielded response to weaponized evaluation. And in that, I found myself a lot of the time being more fluent in evaluation theory and methods than a lot of the evaluators that were being appointed to our work. Um, which also made me sort of cynical about the field. And I'm like, what? Like, are people actually this, this insubstantial in their work? Um, and that, of course, led me into, the, into meeting folks like, like you guys in the professional evaluation field and to know, oh, no, actually, thank God, there are people out there who are rigorous about their practice. So, mm-hmm. so that's a little bit of, of my journey. It's like been a journey of defense mostly and then kind of running an end game around, around the, the, the larger non- professional evaluation community. I don't even think it's a community, um, but but to find a community of evaluators who were really interested in social change and were interested in using research and evaluation as a, um, as a way of making projects better. Mm-hmm. That's such a, a fascinating to hear um, so more of the narrative behind your, I didn't realize, you know, how deep that went. And I'm, I'm impressed knowing like that you're, early exposure to evaluation was, you know, evaluation as a specter is something fearful, evaluation as a, as a racket, evaluation as a weapon, like these very um, negative early experiences, but that, um, you know, you have found 
something within evaluation, like people within evaluation who uh, who are subverting that um, to the point now where you've got a course that's around evaluation. So that's really <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of this too, I mean, I, I think I stopped using the war. I f- feel like I've won the war. Like I found my, I found my people, right? So I feel totally comfortable with people like you and Jaredine Coffey and Rita Fierro, who are some of the guests, Trilby Smith, who are the guests on our evaluation course. Like I'm so grateful to be, to be with people for whom um, the the goals of the, of the organizations I'm working for, the social change goals, making a better world. Like this is a part of your toolkit too. This is why you're in the game as well. Like that, you know, it's been lonely, right? Trying to work on teams of people where the evaluators were pretending to be aloof and removed from the process pretending they didn't have any skin in the game. Mm. Um, and and to me, it's very hard when you're working in a participatory social change initiative to have people on the team that don't share a commitment to the future, right? And I and I, I think I felt at some level that, that there was no way you could be objective, you know, in air quotes, objective or removed from the implications of the process. Um, and to, to do so made you incredibly influential in the field of the planning field or the core team of, of a social change effort in a way that wasn't helpful and in a way in which some, some cases was like cynically contrary to what we were trying to do, not simply trying to improve it by, by suggesting things we hadn't thought about, but actually it's like, well, are you delivering on the outcomes? Are you delivering like just mm-hmm. being focused on, on outcomes without any understanding theoretically of what it means to work in complexity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think what I've been learning about complexity theory, too, and this this is really interesting to me, and, and this is a kind of a message I wanted to, to get to non-evaluators through this course, is that the more complex the topics we're working in, the more, more integrated evaluation becomes with action. So I've been thinking over a number of years that if you think about different kinds of problems, um, think about building a house, for example. You know, all, all, the, all the social change efforts that I, I engage in, there's a, there's a planning stage, there's an implementation stage, there's an evaluation stage, right? Or evaluation roles. And um, if you're building a house, you hire an architect to do the, the drawings, you hire a builder to do the building, you hire an inspector to do the inspection. And those are three really distinct roles. They're professionalized, they have professional expert advice. And because of the nature of the problem, which is a linear, solvable, here's the end, judge it against the intention kind of problems, you can professionalize all of those roles and you can separate them and that's actually helpful. So you don't necessarily want the builder doing the architect architecture. You don't necessarily want the housing inspector putting the walls up. Mm. So they all have their own roles. But the more you work in complexity, the more we work with things like poverty reduction and anti-racism and indigenous uh, self-governance and um, you know culture change and stuff like that, the more you realize that planning and action and evaluation are actually they're interdependent. They're, they're almost, they're, they're codependent <laughs> within, within people in the process. So everybody's a planner, everybody's an actor, and everybody's an evaluator. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the feedback loops and complexity are so tight, we all have to be good at those three things together. And we all have to be good at working with other people to make sense of like, what should we do now? Or it's like, it's like the what, so what, now what, right? It's like, what's going on? What does it mean for us? What should we do now? And it, you don't need to rely on professional evaluators to do that. You need to embed evaluation as a capacity within a team to be doing it constantly. 
So that, so for me, I began beginning to learn that like evaluation fluency is actually a critical piece of running groups and running core teams who are doing social change work in really highly complex and adaptable, um, adapting, changing, evolving uh, contexts. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has really transformed for me about my own practice over the last year, and and in part due to uh, working with you as well as to working with um, uh, a lot of other people who are who are also not necessarily evaluators. So working with designers, working with organizational development folk, um, and working with some of those evaluators who are sort of at the edges and, and pushing the edges of what the profession is. Um, but for me, it's been this transformation of not thinking of myself as I am the evaluator. I own evaluation. I'm the one who brings in evaluation and evaluation lives in me when I'm in this project. That that's my that's my domain. That's my role. So not entering projects that way, um, mm. but trying to shift that into, you know, evaluation is going to be happening in this project, whether there's, whether there's an evaluator here or not, people just do. That's a natural, normal human activity to look at what we do and, and evaluate it, whether we do that explicitly or formally in any way or not. Mm. But to, yeah, go mm. into that setting and know that that's going to be happening. And, and this is me trying to also negotiate and navigate this new role of, so what is my role there? Is my role there to scaffold that, shepherd that, guide that, nurture mm. that, um, but not not own it, not control it, not have it be, oh, that's what I do. And and I'll take care of that. And no one else has to do that. I've, I've been working against that model now and trying to find a new, a new pathway for that. And it's really been inspired, I think, through, yeah, just working really deeply and closely with people and seeing, wow, there's a need here for everyone to evaluate. And there's a capacity here for everyone to evaluate. Fund- fundamentally, I think participatory process, facilitation in complexity is evaluation. You know, every time you bring a group of people together to think about where we are in the project, we're doing an evaluative conversation. And, you know, I and, and I find that the more the deeper the problem is or the more complex the problem is and the deeper the content, the deeper the uh, yeah, the more complex the problem is, um, the more the methods of engagement and the methods of evaluation become the same thing. Right. So like the project you and I are working on right now, Carolyn, is really interesting because we get we got hired as a team and then the, the, the core team was sort of like, well, we want we want you, Chris, to be like the engagement specialist because that's what you do. And we want you, Carolyn, to be the evaluation specialist. And I think really quickly we said, mm, yeah, <laughs> um, but we're also a team. And what would be good is if I could learn more about evaluation and Carolyn could learn more about engagement. And so our Venn diagrams like seriously overlap and our role has been, I think at this point, our role has been to develop capacity on the team for them to do their evaluation and engagement work together, but that you and I both keep our own expertise. I mean, I've got a lot, you know, years of experience as an engagement facilitator. You've got years of experience as an evaluator. So we're looking at the work through our own lenses as well. Mm -hmm. So there's value to us individually coming there, but we're definitely showing up as a team, eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a big call. I think that's something that is coming up within evaluation as a field is this call on us to be collaborative. Mm. And one thing I notice from my own background in training is that uh, I was really not taught to be collaborative. <laughs> um, right, right. I think about the way that I learned to, I mean, I'm heavily air quoting 
heavily air quoting collaborate in in my undergraduate and even grad school is you're assigned a project you're maybe working with a partner or on a group and you immediately divvy that project up into who do who does what you go away you work on your separate pieces you come and bring it back together like that that was the model of teamwork mm. that uh, I worked with in a really long time in a research setting um, and for me it's been a really important stretch to like what does it feel like to actually work with people in concert in synchrony to find that that rhythm and 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 groove together which is it's a it's a tricky thing when you're not used to doing it when you're used to being like but i need to know exactly bullet point list tell me what i'm supposed to do and i can do that and i'll feel competent about doing that um and i won't have to like lean on any of my learning edges or things like that yeah and i think that's somewhat a consequence of the professionalization of both of our fields I mean, in the last 20 years, facilitation has become professionalized. Evaluation and research has always been professionalized in, to some extent. Um, and I think that's fine because it just encourages you to kind of go deeper. But I think where it, where it becomes problematic is where it assumes that you have a role separate and apart, you know, that you have an exclusive role. Uh, and again, in certain kinds of problems, that makes sense. It makes sense that the evaluator is an independent person. But in the reality of working in complexity, it doesn't make sense to separate those roles because we need diversity and we need beyond collaboration. We need to moosh. We need to moosh together. <laughs> so we're, we're, it's, it's, it's not simply you show up and I show up and we show up in those roles with our boundaries very clear. Um, we need to both show up with our experiences, our lived experiences, our history and our expertise and enter into a willingness to discover something new. Um, and that's the nature of emergence. That's the nature of working in complexity. So you have to surrender your professional boundaries when we're working in complexity because we're trying to do things that have never been done before. And so our past experience can only take us so far. So I think that that in the art of hosting community, which is the facilitation community that I, I do a lot of my own learning in, we talk about that as co-creation rather than collaboration. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not merely showing up and collaborating, but it's also about co-creating and co-creating involves some surrender of what we know. It, it, everybody has to surrender what they know. And I think one of the things that scared me about evaluators before was that they were the only ones that showed up in the process that never gave up anything. They never gave anything. And if, and if working together in true collaborative fashion, you know, is a, is a gift exchange, everybody's got to give something. You know, if research is ceremony, right, mm -hmm. if facilitation is healing, if social change is actually more than just, you know, achieving a good project, but actually creating holistic outcomes um, and a holistic, uh, you know, sort of heart filled piece of work, which is what we're being called to do, then you have to give something. You can't just show up and, and hold all your cards close to your chest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this course that's coming up in February, it's for uh, non-evaluators, you know, people maybe coming from a facilitation background, but it also, you know, it's for um, evaluators as well. We're going to, by the way, we're going to put a, a, a link to this, um, the information about the course in our show notes as well, if anyone's interested. Um, mm. But so how do you envision um, evaluators and non-evaluators or facilitators? Like what, what, what dynamic are you looking for um, in terms of... <laughs> Not necessarily just within the course, but in general, like, do you want to see like a bridging of across professions or a sharing of knowledge or? E, um, I think it's like, I want to see more of what we do. I mean, I mean, I may be a bit greedy and maybe I'm only seeing the world through my own lenses, but I, but I have like, I have, I have as a facilitator grown tremendously by working closely with evaluators and 
what I've learned, what I, what I want facilitators and people who do strategy and who run nonprofits and who are doing social change, what I want them to really understand is that evaluators are your friends. <laughs> and these are people who are out here who are in some ways pushing the social change field more than you are. Because I actually find in a lot of nonprofits, people are still very, I don't know where it comes from because I haven't, I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, but it seems like a lot of folks making social change still have a linear causal model theory of change, you know, um, that we just follow along these steps. You know, I mean, this is, a, I love the conversation you guys had with Kim um, a couple of months ago where you're talking about linear theories of change and having that challenged. And I think a lot of people just come into social change with that view. And I've been trying to disrupt that through the use of complexity theory to say that the problems we're working on are complex and nonlinear. And so, so are, do our solutions need to be. Um, and traditionally, the evaluators would be the ones driving that linear causal theory of change. Mm -hmm. But because of the explosion of different kinds of ways of doing evaluation over the years, I think evaluators are actually leading out on more progressive ways of understanding how we make change than some of the people that are making social change now. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, I, I think that might, I, I think one of the things that might play into that is um, when you follow the data, if you really genuinely follow the data and, and pay attention, because what it is, is you're saying you have to really pay attention deeply to what's happening around you. That's mm -hmm. often what the question of evaluation is, is what, what is really happening around you? It kind of inevitably leads you to have to grapple with the fact that your reality is complex because the evidence is there. And our choices are about like, when we grapple with the data in complexity, it means it means that we're not addressing the problems that are raised by the data, but we're addressing the patterns that we, we use to make meaning of the data. So like the evaluator's role in complexity becomes gathering the data, presenting it well, like helping us to see it. But our role, our role collectively becomes like making sense of it. What does it mean to us? And that meaning-making piece is essential. You get the the in complexity, the data doesn't give you the answers. It merely gives you the places to inquire into the questions, and the questions are what lead you to action in complexity, not answers. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a complicated linear predictive system, the data gives you the answers and tells you what to do. Right? The architect will tell you what materials to use. The builder will tell you how much it will cost. Those give you the answers. But in complexity, it's like discerning the patterns together it gives you the questions. The questions are what lead us into action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice around how to kind of uh, um, bring evaluators and these uh, facilitators or, or leaders or people who are doing the work in complex um, scenarios closer together? Well, I, part of it, part of it for me comes down to theory. So understanding the nature of complex adaptive systems mm -hmm. is really important. Most of my phone calls with clients, like my initial phone calls start with somebody calls me up and they say, we're really stuck. Like, we don't know what to do. We don't, you know, I'm, I sort of joke with people a lot of the time. It's like, oh, you're so desperate. You finally called me. <laughs> like, I'm always, I'm always last on the list. Um, we, we sometimes say in the facilitation world, facilitation comes from the Latin of to make things easy. But I don't think anybody that's worked with me would accuse me of doing that. <laughs> you know? um, I like the messiness. And so, but I can help people in complexity and I think my evaluator colleagues can as well, because we, we can help people understand the nature of the problems they're facing. Like the reason why you're stuck is because you're confronting a complex adaptive system and it doesn't throw up easy answers. And people are like, yeah, so what do we do? And, and for me, it's like, well, we get people together and talk about it. 
and then we try things and we we monitor them and we see what what's working and what isn't it's actually fairly simple to operate in complexity but if you don't have the worldview or the orientation or at least a little grounding in how a complex problem is not a linear problem then it feels very confusing and very scary and people feel lost so i always try and start there um, and i have a little body of theory that i introduce people to that ties in with why why I do facilitation the way I do and why I work with evaluators like like Carolyn and, and Jardine and Rita, um, because they're bringing a, a, a more nuanced, more complexity-informed approach to evaluation. And that helps us to, be, to, do, to do better, to be more precise with the conversations that we're having and to undertake actions and look at them um, in a way that helps us learn about where we're going, because that's what we need to do in complexity. So that's that's my advice. And so my advice for evaluators would be, like, bring your complexity game to these problems. Um, bring your bring what you know about working in uncertainty, um, and bring bring what you know about not not being the expert and how uh, how you can how you can work with data, help us understand data in a way that leads us into the questions and then, and then learn how to facilitate the questions, which many evaluators know how to do. They call it research methodology, (laughs) (laughs) like coming up with good questions. I think evaluators oftentimes come up with better questions than facilitators do, but I want, I want people to see that these roles of facilitation and evaluation are not different. Mm -hmm. They're the same and we can come at them from different angles and different histories, but we need to get really good at it. Um, we need to be really good at both. We're talking right now about sort of how facilitation and evaluation can work together in complexity and social change, which is really important. I also think there's even um, a really more uh, basic relationship between evaluation and facilitation, which is that evaluators facilitate. Mm-hmm. Um, facilitation is a, is a really uh, important part of, of our actual practice, whether whether we're working in complexity or not, um, we work with people. Um, and I think, I know I was never formally trained in how to facilitate. Uh, everything I've learned, I've sort of picked up along the way up until this year when, when I was able to, to start doing some actual training, doing art of hosting and so forth. Mm. Um, and um, pretty much every evaluator I've talked with, actually, there's, there's a new book out that I only heard about because Amazon recommended it to me. <laughs> even though even though it's a Michael Quinn Patton book and it came out this year, but I heard almost no buzz around it, but it's called Facilitating Evaluation. Oh. And it's genuinely my new favorite book. <laughs> um, it's it's awesome, but it's just Michael Quinn Patton talking about um, the the basically facilitating in an evaluation context. It's it's he really shares a lot of the magic uh, around what uh, he does, and it's not magic; it's it's process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Rita Fierro is one of the contributors as well. He's got these uh, in. He calls them between chapter portages. So, like you know, when you pick your canoe up and you move to the next mm-hmm. lake. So he's got contributors doing that. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like he, I think he even talks about at some point in the book, like yeah, like we don't. Facilitation is really important in evaluation, and most evaluators don't get trained in facilitation. We don't. Um, learn how to do that or necessarily explore that as as a conscious part of our practice would brian is that your experience i think for for a lot of evaluators yeah um my background in community psychology we had some uh training in facilitation more on the it was certainly separate from the evaluation component of my uh, master's it was kind of here you learn evaluation here you learn facilitation and Mm. explicitly the twain didn't meet 
So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, I'm curious about when you came to the art of hosting, what, what did you learn about facilitation there that was a surprise to you from what you thought it was before? Hmm. Oh, good question. I mean, th- I think part of the issue for me when I was um, first looking at, okay, facilitation, is that something that I want to dig deeper into? Is I, I kind of had the question of like, well, what, what is it? Like, isn't it just, you know, talking and telling people what to do and giving people sort of activities and exercise? Like, I, I didn't have a, a coherent picture in my head of what evaluation or sorry, of what facilitation could be. And so doing art of hosting and getting to be exposed to some of the the, the theory that shapes it as well as experience it um, from multiple sides, it just it grounded me deeper in the idea of it as a, as a real process. I don't know if that's a good explanation. It just made it more real for me. Yeah. It, it, it made me think about like one of the other areas that I'm learning about in my own facilitation practice is pedagogy. And I'm really interested in learning theory, not only because I teach a lot, but because I think that when groups of people are working in complexity, that's what we're doing. We're actually doing, we're actually learning. So the facilitation methods that you need in complexity, like the facilitator in, in my work, what we call the, in the art of hosting, the facilitator doesn't come with answers. So we don't come preloaded with an outcome. We're not trying to steer a group towards a particular destination. We're trying to create a container in which a group can discover and make sense of its own situation and can discover and, and, and implement ways forward that may or may not work, right? So it's about creating experiments and seeing what happens and monitoring them and making sense of them. So it's so when I say like learning and planning and acting and evaluating are all one thing in complexity. But for me, <coughs> excuse me, for me, the, the, the learning theory piece, like nonlinear pedagogy, has been a really interesting field to begin to dive into. And I've started sort of scratching the surface that way. But I think, I think in, when we're working in complex systems, we need to be using methods, whether they're, you know, group process methods that create the containers for people to learn about their context and then to act on that knowledge that they've learned together without us being the ones that interpret right? So without the facilitator, the evaluator being the interpretive lens in, in the complexity world I, I work in, we call this disintermediated sense-making. So what you do is you, you can collect data or you have people generate their own data and you don't put an interpretive lens between the data and the people that are using it. You let people, you, but you create process for people to make sense of the data and to act that way. Um, and they may act in ways that are right or wrong, but, that, but because of the nature of a complex problem, you can't say that at the moment. Like, oh, don't do that. That's going to be wrong. You can't say that. We just don't know. So action is also a form of discovery and learning, right? And that's what nonlinear pedagogy is. And nonlinear pedagogy is used to teach um, skills like there's, a, there's a, a, a soccer coach that I follow in Sweden who's a, a PhD in complexity theory and in, and in, and in learning. Um, and he uses nonlinear pedagogy to teach youth players the game um, so that they're they're making sense and creating strategies they, on their own by playing small-scale simulations of a soccer game rather than drilling, rather than dribbling a ball around cones, which is not a skill that you use in soccer. You never drill a ball around a cone in a <laughs> soccer game. So why are we learning 
Why are we teaching this? And it comes from an old school way of saying, learn this skill because then you can build the next one. It's like this laddering approach to skills. So what he does instead is he puts dynamic actors in a field, players, and he teaches you to dribble around players that are moving and trying to take the ball off of you, right? Because that's the skill you need to learn. And you're the one that makes sense of it. And you're the one that discovers your own strategies. Um, and he's doing this with teenagers, right? In a professional club in Sweden. So, uh, and then writing a lot about nonlinear pedagogy. So I think it's kind of like my, my facilitation world has been a lot of, a lot influenced by this idea that we're all learning. And I think this is a place where evaluators and facilitators are united in the work that we do. We're contributing to the learning of groups without predetermining what their outcomes or what they should or shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. So in this kind of model, it's more providing the the space and some of the resources to for um for everyone to kind of answer those questions around what so what now what rather than saying you know here's what the what is and here's how you should answer the next two questions right exactly mm-hmm. yeah there, there's no there can be no narrative path that we're leading them down because we don't know where we're going we have to feel it out together and i guess that's what we have to give up as evaluators going back to what you're saying earlier is give up the idea that we know the path that we're going on or that we know that this is the direction that this initiative will be taking in the end and as facilitators, mm. it's very tempting for facilitators to make judgments about whether or not a group is performing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the work would be a lot easier if it wasn't for all these people upsetting our perfect plans that we have all set out. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's <clears throat> funny to think about, but it also comes into that's a, that becomes a power dynamic. And this right. is one of the reasons why why Jaradine's in, um, joining us in the course, because she's just recently published a piece. I think was it the American Journal of Evaluation or? She just recently published a piece on the history of evaluation. <laughs> mm. And um, I think Carolyn and I were both at a little workshop she did in Vancouver last year where she sort of like went over where eval- where program evaluation comes from um, and how deeply embedded are um, constructs of power, control, uh, white supremacy, colonization, like still to this day embedded in in, in evaluation practice. Um, because of the history of where evaluation came from, which was, you know, like um, she would, she may say like a hundred years ago or so when rich people started giving money to poor people, there needed to be some accountability because surely poor people can't manage their own money. And, mm-hmm. and that whole power relationship is just rarely questioned in the evaluation field. Um, but I think when we talk about predetermining outcomes, Brian, and when we're talking about our influence in in the field as evaluators or facilitators, Mm -hmm. there is actually a historical grounding in what those roles are and what they're supposed to do. And I think we have to be very conscious, not only of the roles we play, obviously, in the groups we work with, but of the history of what has put us into those positions, has given those roles status. Mm -hmm. Like evaluators in human history have only had status in the last hundred years. (laughs) <laughs> right prior to that it's like i think most of through most of human history most stuff got done without an evaluation specialist on the team <laughs> yeah right? we were yeah. all doing it all the time mm-hmm. but suddenly this power thing creeps in and it's really interesting you know so i think it's like demands us to be conscious about it mm-hmm. and there's a there's a narrative among evaluators um where we often f- talk about feeling quite uh powerless um, you know, people don't listen to us or take us seriously, or we do the work, but then they don't read the reports. Like we, we often talk about how we lack influence and how we need more influence. And I think uh, it it's really important for us to 
um, recognize that we actually sort of do have quite a lot of influence and, and that um, consolidating and reinforcing that power could have some really um, serious negative consequences that we should be careful that we're not doing, uh, you know, power over or or taking mm-hmm. control in, in ways that could be harmful. Um, mm-hmm. Because we do, we're, we can be incredibly incredibly influent. I mean, people wouldn't be so afraid of us. We had a whole episode where we talked about how people were afraid of us. People mm-hmm. aren't afraid of you if they if there isn't a reason to be afraid of you. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be an interesting conference topic to do? <laughs> like a breakout session at, at at evaluation conference somewhere on the question of why do we feel we need influence? Mm. That would be fascinating, yeah. We moan and complain that nobody takes it seriously. Well, why do why do we think we should be? <laughs> <laughs> What do we want to do with that? Yeah. What have we got that people absolutely need to have, you know, in order to succeed in their lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for some reason, I'm thinking too about a couple of years ago, I think it was at AA in Chicago, Michael Quinn Patton uh, facilitated a, a workshop about uh, um, basically he was wearing a jester hat, I think. No, I guess, no, that was more the. Um, I might be confusing my my ones, but I think he was talking about the role at one point about like the evaluator as the jester being able to speak truth to power, which is the theme of this right. past conference. But yeah, that's just an interesting question. If uh, I mean the jester is a, is a role of power in some ways, but he doesn't get any respect. He's just kind of pointing things out to to those in power. So why are we wanting to to move away from that? Why are we seeking to be having a, a spot that's more prominent or more? recognized i mean part of it's maybe just practical in terms of mm. that kind of role is maybe a little bit better paid but it's uh yeah that's an interesting question and uh we'll definitely um uh, track down uh, geraldine's uh paper and include to link to that in the show notes because I, I know for one i'd love to to read through that it's it sounds like it's a fascinating uh, perspective on the field yeah i mean it's 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 interesting i mean i think the same question goes for facilitators too brian like this is the this is why I say like in complexity, we're, we're really the same person. We're mm-hmm. really doing the same thing. And the, the same question is one that we grapple with all the time in the art of hosting world. It's like, what is the role of, of power? Mm-hmm. Why are we, why do we think we're so important? Um, and what, wh- how influential are we in the containers that we create? Like we have to be very conscious of that. We, we create process and we create container and that has a radically, uh, you know, deeply important influence on what groups end up doing. So we have to be very, very careful and conscious with that power because we can enact a lot of cognitive bias um, Mm -hmm. for or against what we're trying to say if we're not careful. It's interesting, the, 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 the book by Michael, it's funny, like I haven't heard of it either. And actually Rita and I are in the process of crafting a course on facilitation and evaluation. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you, if, yeah, if you'd heard about it. It's really, I love it. <laughs> uh, funny story about actually that book. Um, I, there was an evaluation online evaluation book club. And I think the title of the book includes the words principles somewhere, like it's facilitating evaluation principles or something like that, or principles of facilitation for evaluation. So I saw that book title and I thought, oh, that's Michael Quinn Patton's book on principles. So I started reading the first couple of chapters on that. And within five minutes of joining the online book club and we're having this discussion, it became clear to me like, oh, shoot, I read the wrong book. <laughs> so um, luckily, I, I found that book online and kind of joined in. And apparently I managed to fake it through most of the book club and just said at the end, yeah, I read the wrong the wrong book for this, but uh, managed to, to, to contribute anyway. But yeah, so it's in my library now to read. But I think you can just get it through... Um, 
through Kindle or or whatnot. So um, there's there's ebook versions of it and everything. So yeah, it's a looks like a pretty good resource. Um, and that yeah, it's back on my reading list now. I think after this conversation. Yeah, yeah. mine too. <laughs> I've been recommending it to a lot of the um, the emerging professionals I work with because because it's about um, you know he talks through his his principles for. Um, like evaluate like facilitating an evaluation context specifically mm-hmm. and to do that he illustrates with a lot of his own experiences and so forth so you really do get to see what it looks like to to do evaluation mm. you know the michael quinn Patton style mm. um and so you know to new professionals or if you if you want to know what does it look like it's not you know you know, here's how you pick a question and do a logic model and, and yada. It's really like this is what it looks like to 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 do it in real life with people when it's messy. Um and some ideas of, of how to to navigate it. And he's very clear, like it's it's again, it's very principles and form. So it's not like here's a rule, here's a you know, follow this, always right. do this and it'll work out fine. It's much more about giving you that guidance so you can start making those um good uh, you know, adaptive judgments for yourself. Oh my God. I think we better be Facilitators better be worried now. You evaluators are going to creep into our professional <laughs> field. I think this is why we have to learn about evaluation so we can do an end run around you and become <laughs> good at evaluating. The war, the war of facilitators and evaluators yeah. escalates. Yeah, now, now, <laughs> orbiting around each other. Yeah, now we're weaponizing facilitation. So there you go. There you go. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to think about what that looks like. <laughs> Oh, I've seen it. <laughs> oh. We've all seen it. Oh, oh my Growing markers, markers at each other, and I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we wrap this episode up, Chris, is there anything else that you want us or our listeners to take away knowing about uh, facilitation, about evaluation, or about your course? Well, the the course, yeah, I mean, I would... The course is for evaluators who are interested in working with facilitators and for facilitators who want to learn more about evaluation as a as as this kind of like really interesting field that can help you do work. So we're going to be joined on the course by Trilby Smith, who's the director of uh, learning and evaluation at the Vancouver Foundation and who's a great thinking partner and friend of both of ours, Carolyn. And, um, and she's going to be talking about how she moved from uh, how, she, how her evaluation world partly opened up by being unable to measure impact, um, which is a really great topic to begin with. And so we're going to start there. And then um, I think it's uh, Rita who will be next talking about how evaluators and facilitators can work together. So obviously she's just published on this and it wasn't the first time she's published. She's published papers on this as well. Rita and I are working on a course. We're going to run in New York in April, New York City on um, evaluation and facilitation, a two day course. Then Jaredine will join us to talk about the history of evaluation and why we have to be conscious of the way in which we use it for power and um, and uh, and the way in which we show up uh, in those power roles. That's something we've touched on this morning. And then um, and then Carolyn will join us to talk about developmental evaluation. And I think just really, we're I'm hoping to end that the course the the fourth course with you, Carolyn, talking about all these different approaches to how we can work with evaluation and how evaluation and facilitation contribute to like joyful practice of making sense of where we're at and making decisions about what to do next. Um, and that we don't have to be bound to just one method or just one way of doing things. So, um, so yeah, the, the, the course is intended to be provocative and, and we want you to show up with projects. Um, my, my colleagues at Beehive Productions who host it do a beautiful job of hosting online space. There's, there's time spent 
in uh, small groups um, and it's practical and applicable. We'll ask you some provocative questions. We'll get you to work on projects and we harvest a lot from this. So at the end of it, there'll be a, a, a compendium harvest for everybody to take away with them as well, like a co-created a co-created workbook on what we've learned. So really looking forward to that. So that so I, I feel like 2019 is in a way like my year of learning more about integrating these two fields of evaluation and facilitation together and doing it with this online course and with the course I'm doing with Rita in April, which might be offered elsewhere. If people want to bring us to their community, then we'd be more than willing to uh, continue developing it with with their local colleagues as well. I'm so excited to be uh, on this exciting journey with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds great. And uh, yeah, thank you, Chris, for, for joining us today. This has been a great conversation and definitely has got me thinking about uh, facilitation and evaluation, how those two can connect and uh, learning some new uh, new phrases as well, the whole joyful practice and the weaponized evaluation. So uh, <laughs> not to be thinking about those two a little bit. So thanks again for, for joining us. Great. You're so welcome. It's good to know. You can read more on the facilitation approaches we use. My website's chriscorrigan.com. And I, I, there's tons and tons of resources there on facilitation methods and lots of musings about evaluation and, and a, lot of the, a lot of the issues you guys deal with here on Eval Cafe as well. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been great to, to, to think out loud with you guys, and especially in advance of designing and planning this course. <laughs> so it's always good to be able to talk about it and see what comes into, into fruition, mm-hmm. into being. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here's just some more joyful practice in 2019. You bet. That's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on Pinecast, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going to our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Eval Cafe. And if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast.gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for Poppers and Prosecco, our intro theme, and Dispersion Relation, our outro as well as to Tim at tabletopaudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro. I actually heard about it, and this is a funny story. Um, There is an evaluation online book club, and I think that name of that book has principles somewhere. So it's like uh, principles of facilitating evaluation. Is that me or is that evaluation facilitation? Uh, principles. Oh, and, interesting. Um, Usually it's me who goes out. Oh, okay. <laughs> we somehow got disconnected there, I think. You guys just both went blank. And I Oh, you me. went blank for us. Okay. We yeah. lost you. Huh. All right. Well, right. It looks like it's still recording. Yeah. There's like a spot where I was starting to say something and then Carolyn, you kind of cut back in midway. So weird. Okay. Well, we've we've had this before. Zencaster's pretty robust, so I think we're okay. Yeah, well, well, it's it's your job to edit this time, so you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh